0: You guys, welcome to episode 128 of The Smush Room, the podcast that deep dives into well-known, more importantly, not so well-known, hookups of your favorite, uh, celebrities, celebutantes, uh, stars, people who dabble in music, the occasional fragrance, uh, it's me, Troy McKitty, and, as you know, based on the description, you've now seen what we're doing today, um, apparently 2020 is the year that I just fully wild out, like, I don't know, I just, I've fully- I'm just leaning into the craziness and I'm wiling the fuck out. And we are doing a part two of our fake relationships episode because I had so much fun with the last one, and you guys seem to love it. So I figured, why not just do a part two and really, you know, really just go for it. Part two of this sum of a bitch. So that's what we're doing today. And I mean, God, God knows that there is a a plethora of couples that I mean. There is an endless supply of fake relationships as much as there are real ones. And, you know, some of the relationships on this list, one in particular, I'm going to be honest with you, I just want to get this out of the way very quickly. When their name comes up, you're going to be alarmed and feel weirded out by it and be like, huh, is everything he said a lie? I need you to understand that one couple in particular on this list is going to shock you to the marrow of your bone. You will quake. It's one that I have spent lots and lots of time in the past talking about and I will continue to explore because it's my it is my civil duty. It is my God given fucking duty on this earth to explore the ins and outs of this relationship. And you know, there are still things to be said. The older I get, I mean, and by older I mean like literally as the days continue. This relationship shapes and shifts and becomes all these different things. And I have more things to say. Um, Things that I feel like I really, really, really left out of the previous episodes. And I just have to get some things off my chest. So we'll get to it when we get to it. Um, I didn't put it first because I felt like that was like trying too hard. And I didn't put it last because I felt like it, it deserved more than that. So it's second. You know what I mean? And that's just where it's going to lie. And when it comes up, you'll know what it is and and we'll get into it and it'll be fine. And we'll hold each other's hands and it'll be fine. I also just wanted to point out that you guys know that anything I've claimed in these episodes is alleged. And I obviously don't know Ryan Seacrest. Like I don't know these people. Um, And I just don't want this to come across as me like just speculating about people's sexualities, even though it's like literally what I'm doing, but I went back and re-listened to the first episode and I guess I just don't want this to come off as like me thinking the only reason people get into fake relationships is because they're all gay. Like, I don't think that I think that there's tons and tons of reasons for people to get into situations like this. Um, I think that there are financial reasons. There are, you know, career reasons. There are, you know, there's the whole thing of celebrities not wanting the public to know about their real life. There's all sorts of reasons for a celebrity to put up a sort of fake shield relationship when everybody is watching everything that they do. And I don't know, I guess I just wanted to get that across that like, I don't, uh, that's just not what I'm doing. And I'm also not like, I've, I've made it very clear. I've said many, many times that like, I'm not a 2003 Perez Hilton. Like that's not my gig. Um, but at the same time, like, In some cases, sexuality is something that I can't not explore, especially in the context of a fake relationship, you know, like I said, where they're using somebody to further their career or to, like, block people from their real life. Like, it's obviously going to come up. And it's not like any of you, like, reached out to me and said, like, hey, I'm offended, but I just listened back and was like, I hope that it's coming across that I think that there's a whole plethora of reasons that people do this and it's not just one reason. Um yeah I guess we can go ahead and just like get right into it um I've got a lot of couples written down and I've got a lot of notes about each one so I hope this doesn't go like five hours long but we'll see so the couple that I wanted to start with today was Harry and Kendall and I know last week I stated that this was like an honorable mention because the episode was already running kind of long and I didn't feel like talking about them um but I actually think that this is something we should explore especially given the fact that it's still sort of being shoved down our throats. Like they actually have the nerve to think we have feelings of nostalgia about them, which is fucking insane. Like seeing them across from each other on Jimmy Fallon gives us this moment of like, Oh my God, it's what we've all been waiting for. Like, are are you kidding me? Um, Kendall and Harry are fascinating because it is one of the previously mentioned couples where inevitably we are going to have to bring up sexuality. And as you know, it's something that's been linked, you know, it's something that's been speculated about with these two specifically for years and years and years and years, For at least, I guess I would say what, 10 years now. And if you don't mind, I would like to hold you by your fingertips and take you back to November of 2013. Harry addresses their relationship publicly for the first time on Pierce Morgan and says they went on a dinner date. So for me, that's red flag number 1. It's always alarming to me when a celebrity announces a potential courtship with another celebrity. Like I just find that to be so odd. You know what I mean? Like it just for me it has hair hey, you better make sure that you mention Kendall at some point during this interview written all over it. It's not genuine. It's like okay, I took Kendall Jenner, the teen model, on a date the other night to dinner. <laughs> we'll see what happens, boys. Like, what is, what, I don't, I, it's absurd. Also, these interviews, they're all, especially interviews with people like Harry Styles of One Direction fame in 2013, they're all planned and pre-interviewed the fucking house down Mama Boots. So that means a group of people, worked this question into the pre-interview and he knew it was going to be asked. It's all bullshit. And as soon as this became a thing, I think people started to kind of question it, whether or not it was real, especially considering that they were according to them introduced by managers. They were very open about that in the public that they didn't know each other and their managers thought that they would be good together. So they introduced them like, okay. And if you also take into consideration the fact that in 2013, Harry was being marketed as this like always up to something cougar chasing hunk from one direction and Kendall was on her way to becoming this like teen Vogue model, they had everything to gain from doing this, this bullshit. You know, over the next few years, there were tons of very blatantly planned Photo ops between them at various fashion shows and events, you know, they would be spotted skiing together and they'd be spotted vacationing on yachts, always in very clear view of the photographers. And the really interesting thing is that towards the end of 2013 and the beginning of 2014, Harry was linked to everyone's favorite bisexual, I can turn any girl I want fashion icon, Cara Delevingne. So at the same time that the press wanted you to believe that Harry and Kara were hooking up, it was also starting to be reported that Kara and Kendall were becoming best, best gal pals and that Kara had been accepted into the Kardashian family as one of their own. And that she was jokingly spelling her name with a K because she's a Kardashian now. And this leads to several planned photo ops between Kara, Harry and Kendall you know, moments of them, in quotes, running into each other at fashion shows on red carpet events and things like that and saying, oh, you, let's take a picture together. Um, so fast forward to 2016. By this time, Kendall and Harry have been photographed making out several times on yachts in these really staged photo ops. And the media starts to report that Kendall is infatuated with Kara, and that they're secretly in love with each other. This is a quote from the Inquisitor in 2016. They said, Delavine has been playing a critical role in helping Jenna realize her blossomed feelings for women, including her friendships with Gigi Hadid and and Haley Baldwin, saying she reassured Kendall that the stigma of being gay is gone and encouraged her to allow, allow herself the freedom to be who she really is. Now at the same time, and I want you to really hear me out and don't judge me before I get to the end of what I'm about to say. Harry is also fighting his own very public, but also not very public at all, weird, battle with his sexuality. This is peak, you know, One Direction Tumblr fans going into full riot mode when it comes to getting to the bottom of these boys' sexual identities. You had millions and millions and millions of girls doing full-on, like, Claire Danes in Homeland levels of investigative work about who in the band was gay, who in the band was bisexual, who in the band was dating, etc. And this was all written off as a bunch of crazy hormonal teenage girls wishing for something to be true that wasn't. Which, like, that alone is a conversation in itself. Like, we had come to a place where teenagers were so forward-thinking about sexuality that they wanted their favorite boy band of the time to all be gay, (laughs) they didn't want to date. I mean, of course they wanted to date them and they wanted to do all the things, but like at the end of the day, they wanted them to be homosexuals and they wanted to watch these gay boys, uh, kiss. Like what a strange turn of events. Um, but the story had gotten so big that their management had to step in and basically say, you guys can't publicly declare anything for or against the the gay community at this point, because the block is too hot right now. Like people are, obsessing over this whole thing it's becoming like a, a massive part of your like identity as a band and that means no more of the funny stuff you guys know that one direction was known for just like being playful like they would kiss each other on the mouth and kiss each other on the cheek and jokingly grab each other's butts and crotches and they would hold hands on stage But the fascinating thing that started to happen was these teenage girls were doing such incredible investigative work that it actually caught up with the band to the point that they had to really lean into these fake relationships. So you had Zayn, who was now supposedly engaged to the love of his life, Gigi Hadid, we'll talk. You had Louis, who had apparently had a baby with someone and was now very miserably trotting this baby around in a stroller all over the place for photo ops. Like, it was really crazy and really weird. Now, here's what I'll tell you about my relationship with One Direction. Not too long before they appeared on SNL for the first time, I had read a bunch of blind items about them um, on all these different websites that all sort of said a version of the same thing. And it's always really alarming to me when all of the forums and all of the blind item websites that I read are ignited with the same story at the same exact time. Because blinds are sort of more, blinds are always much more singular in the sense that they don't spread like wildfire. You know what I mean? They sort of sit in one place and collect dust until people catch on to them or catch on to who the person is or who the people are. And then typically, like, the process is, like, you go back years later. Like, my favorite thing to do is actually read old blind items and confirm things. I'm not really, like, a newer blind item person. I do read them, of course. But, like, I like to read old blind blind items from, like, 2013, 2014, 2015 and confirm things that we now know to just be common knowledge or, you know, to, like, sort of be true. I like to kind of cross-reference in that way. So to see all of these websites with the same story really caught my eye. And I remember they talked about this new, you know, very manufactured and very strategically put together boy band who had one member who was like pretty openly bisexual and uh, a few other members who were sort of unsure of their sexuality and one who was secretly dating the bisexual member of the group. So when I first saw One Direction on SNL, I didn't know i like didn't know One Direction from X Factor because I didn't watch the UK X Factor that they like won or whatever. Um, But I knew them from reading about them. And this was my first time really seeing them perform. So the story immediately popped into my mind. I was like, oh, my God, these are those those like boys like that UK boy band that's like manufactured and like they're like the new thing. Um, and the story continued to grow and grow for years. But the really interesting thing, and I don't feel like I've ever seen this before. And I, I truly don't know if we'll, if we'll ever see anything like it again. It was so of the time and so specific of this boy band, this story inhabited different parts of the internet that don't necessarily merge. So you had one side that was these teenage girls working tirelessly on Tumblr, mostly Tumblr, Tumblr blogs to piece all of this information together, literally piecing together on June 4th, Harry, you know, kissed behind Zayn's ear on stage. And then, and that was at 2.15, but then at 5.00 PM after their show, they did an interview where Louis touched Harry's shoulder and then Zayn gave Louis a dirty look and, he got nervous and stopped touching him and like just re I mean people seriously like not joking like literally homeland level like Carrie Matheson in a manic episode knowing every fucking waking moment of these boys lives so you had that aspect of it but then on the other hand you had the sort of like blind item website underground celebrity news reporter side of the internet also reporting very similar stories, obviously in a much different way. But these two massive, massive groups of people are reporting the same things at the same time in different parts of the internet that don't merge. Cause like when you think of like young 14 and 13 year old girls, like you don't picture them to know how to navigate blind items and vice versa when you know what I mean? Like, so it's, it's just funny that this was happening at the same time And they sort of met in the middle and it caused enough of a stir that One Direction's management had to really act accordingly. And it resulted in, you know, the news most that most of the general public knows about One Direction, you know, things like Harry Styles being a cougar and a ladies man that can't keep his hands off Kendall Jenner's thighs or whatever. Like that was the news that you started seeing reported mainstream hardcore like twice as much as before now in doing research for this episode the absolute most interesting thing about these former teenagers is that they're all now adults who are on the other side of this and I'll tell you they are still doing the lord's work like these these teenage I'm not going to say that they're all girls but these teenage fans are former teenage fans are still Doing this, they are still reporting this daily, like, they're still going back even, and like, you know, cross-referencing old videos, and they're still doing this, and they piece together some pretty fucking fascinating shit, I'm not going to lie to you. Like I was like, holy shit. And now that there's YouTube, I mean like now that YouTube is so much more popular, a lot of them have like sort of, um, congregated to YouTube and like, that's where they share these videos. And I'm telling you, I know that I sound crazy, but it is, it's wild. It's this, this a plethora of interesting one direction stuff on the internet that you don't have to be a 13 year old girl in 2013 to find interesting. It's really fascinating. Um, and for the most part, it goes unnoticed because of how it was written off eight or nine years ago. You know, the mainstream media wanted you to believe that you shouldn't be looking at this stuff because it was like, you know, flying too close to the sun. So it was like all these wacky kids, but these kids were actually unearthing some pretty fucking interesting shit. And my point is that they were doing stuff that was, they were unraveling things that were what am I trying to say their ability to detect what was going on in this group was on par with grown ass men and writers who were writing for publications and websites. And these are kids. Like, it's just, it's just fascinating to me. And to be honest, I think it's even more interesting now, um, you know, because the veil has sort of been lifted on one direction you know, their media machine is no longer. So, you know, we're on the other side of all these news stories about Zayn's, you know, issues with addiction. And, you know, that he still has, like, this really intense struggle with addiction. And that he basically kind of gave up his his budding solo career because of addiction and his issues with eating disorders. And, you know, Harry being a sort of passively out-of-the-closet bisexual man... um given everything that was written about him, you know, 10 years ago when people were saying that these kids were crazy, it's a rabbit hole that is very, 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 I'm telling you, it is easy to get lost in because it's just endless, especially because I think the reason it's, the reason that I got really sucked into it is because around that time when One Direction had formed, we were still in the way early days of like Instagram, like 2013 was still kind of a newer social media era, you know what I mean? It wasn't that long, not new, it's not like, you know, Twitter had been around for a long time and Facebook had been out for a long time, but like, I feel like uh, 2010, 2011, 2013 is when you saw social media sort of start to become what it is now, the very early stages of Instagram where, you know, everybody was just posting like grainy bullshit pictures, like whatever you wanted to post, it didn't mean anything Um, you could literally just shit post whatever you wanted online. And it felt more private at that time because it was like your own little thing. Like I remember posting shit on, we all do. If you go back and look at your first pictures on Instagram, they're absurd. It's like the pictures of the dumbest shit with the most embarrassing filters because it didn't matter. It was shit posting. It literally didn't matter. And I'm telling you, when you go back and look at some of the stuff that these guys were posting on the internet to each other, thinking people would never see it because it was, like, 2011 Instagram or whatever, you know, and they're, like, using these burner accounts that these kids, of course, immediately find out if it's them, um it's pretty fucking wild. So if you ever get bored and you're sitting on the couch and you're like looking for shit to scroll around and look through on the internet, like really, I can't believe I'm telling you to do this, but like really go back and look at some of this One Direction stuff. It's really fascinating. And like I said, a lot of the kids that used to obsessively do this on Tumblr, they're like adults now and they're like on YouTube and they have very well thought out gorgeously put together shit videos hour two hour long videos where i'm like good god damn like fuck um and of course many people believe that kendall was forced by chris to be in these pr relationships with different men for years um many people le- believe it's chris you know who basically told kendall to cover up her sexuality uh, many people also believe that it was Chris who forced Kendall to play a will-they-won't-they they with Harry for years and years and years, especially when you consider their relationship seems to heat up the most when some sort of lesbian rumor is about to happen with Kendall. It's always like, oh, nah, I'm dating Harry. Um, it's also rumored that Chris helped stage all of Kendall and Harry's vacation photos, of course. This one's like almost kind of common knowledge now. Um Especially the ones that are taken on like yachts of Kendall kissing him and straddling him, which is so weird, by the way, because Kendall has never even been that girl. Like Kendall is not the PDA girl. So to see a photo of her in a bikini, like riding Harry's dick on a boat, it's like it just feels so blatant and heavy handed because when have we ever seen Kendall be that girl ever in the past, you know? Okay, so we're about to get to our second couple (laughs) and it should really come as no surprise. And I really, really hope that you don't roll your eyes when you hear the names that I'm about to say, because I actually have unearthed what I should have unearthed several weeks ago. I have some things to say to you about, what do you know, Brittany and Justin? Don't you dare. Do not. Do not fast forward me. Do not pause me. I will not be paused. Do not. Do not ignore me. I have important things to say. The moments that I get to talk about Britney are few and far between, so you need to respect that, first of all. And second of all, this is some of the most important shit that I've probably ever said about Britney on this podcast, and that's true tea. I am not kidding. These are the things that I wish... I go back and I listen... You know, I listen to old episodes because I want to know things I've already said. And every time, I'm like, fuck, why didn't I... Hammer this home. Why didn't I mention this? Why didn't I bring this up? Why didn't I make this a bigger point? It kills me. It actually kills me. So we previously spoke about Britney's childhood and the fact that she had acquired a dependency on alcohol at a very young age, right? I talked about a phase in her life where she, you know, was going out in New Orleans at 16 with her brother and she was dabbling in Coke a little bit. Um, She like tried ecstasy for the first time, but I feel like I sort of skimmed over a lot of information that leads me to believe her breakup with Justin was more damaging for an entirely different reason than I presented in the episode. Entirely different. And I want to run this information by you. Just, just please, please. I'm going to give this to you straight, no chaser right now. I'm not going to ease you into this conversation because I think that at this point, like you can, you can handle it. So we're just going to do it and we're going to move on and we're going to get into it and then it's just going to happen. I'm going to say it and we're going to move on. As you guys know, Valentine's Day is very quickly approaching and this is a podcast about celebrity relationships after all. So it seems appropriate that I, Troy McEady, am partnering with Ballsy for this week's episode. Now look, if you want to buy your partner the same boring crap that you buy him every year, Go for it. This is a free country. I'm not judging you. I'm sure he will absolutely adore the pair of novelty underwear that you found him online. You are killing it. But all I'm saying is that you could take this as an opportunity to grow your relationship and let him know that his balls stink. (laughs) Pause for dramatic effect. Yeah, I said it. After a long day of sitting in an office chair and hitting up the gym after work, your man's scrotum smells something vicious. And that is where Ballsy can help. Ballsy produces high-quality products made right here in the U.S. that are free of synthetic dyes, parabens, and sulfates. Their Valentine's Day-themed I'm Nuts About You gift set comes with pretty much everything you'll need. There's Ball Wash, an activated charcoal wash packed with essential oils and plant extracts. There's Nut Rub, a solid cologne for keeping your between me down there and full body smelling fresh, which comes in six fragrances. There's Sac Spray, a portable deodorizing spray, great for freshening up on the go. Perfect to keep in your gym bag for after a workout when there's no time for you to shower and you have to sit in a car with someone you love. There's also a secondary gift set for men, the Your Incredibles heart box set, which includes three nut rubs, solid colognes, including a limited edition Valentine's Day only scent, drift, and dunes. The retail price for this gift set is $45, but for you, eh, 20% off when you use code SMUSH20 at checkout. That's S-M-U-S-H-20. I'd like to really take a step back and examine the fact that... As a child, and I'm talking like as a child on the set of like Mickey Mouse Club, Britney and all of the other kids on that show were doing, and I want to make this clear, they were doing whatever the fuck they wanted. And that included drinking a lot of alcohol and hanging out with these seedy, very, very seedy Disney producers who let's just say didn't have the best intentions for a bunch of drunk teenagers running running around in fucking florida you know what i mean in fort lauderdale or whatever the wherever the, the the pop explosion happened i forget um and these are also all by the way kids whose parents are all stage parents that are allowing these these producers and shit to raise their kids right So fast forward to the early nineties when Britney is sent to Europe to meet with Max Martin to record her first album. One of the things that I left out in my notes for what reason I'll never know is that an unsupervised teenage Britney was partying her goddamn face off in Europe, doing all sorts of drugs, hooking up with random people Getting wasted, going to like Euro nightclubs. Some of the dancers from her the way earlier phase of her career, um, they admitted throughout the years that, you know, Britney was at a point in like 1999 where she had already hooked up with a lot of women. She had really, really explored herself sexually because she was sexually exploited at such a young age. And that she was also sort of dependent on alcohol already in like 1999 you know what I mean so like in your mind or even like pull up YouTube just for a second YouTube a Britney Spears interview from 1999 and just the juxtaposition between what we were presented and what really was you know what I mean it's crazy This all ties in, I promise. I'm not just rambling for my own sake. I promise this. I have a point here. It got to the point that they basically had to drag her home from Europe because she didn't want to leave Europe. And that's something that's also been reported on a lot in like um, Britney biographies and and that Rolling Stone interview that I talked about and, and a lot of blind items that when they sent Britney to Europe, like she almost didn't come home. There was like a point, and mind you, like at this point, they had paid so much money and put so much money into this pop machine, and there was so much financially riding on her like being a success, so she literally, she had to come home, but she didn't want to, and she fought tooth and nail to stay in Europe because she really had sort of like found her niche, and she had niche, niche, her group of people, she had found where she wanted to be. So whenever you read about the recording process for Baby One More Time, they always talk about, you know, how much of a time crunch it was because they had such a limited amount of time to record the album. And that was because Britney went to Europe, basically did no work and was just drinking and partying and hooking up uh, constantly. And I'm bringing this up only to help you understand how removed Britney was from her, in quotes, relationship with Justin by the time it was actually over. Because the thing that I did not hammer home enough when we did that previous episode is how much of a PR moment this relationship was. And I would never say that there wasn't a part of both of them that absolutely had love for each other, for sure. But the version of Britney and Justin's relationship that you and I grew up with was basically written by fucking Mother Goose. Do Do you know what I'm trying to say? So you can imagine in all of this that's going on in 1999, just picture what was going through her mind by like 2001. This is a girl who is an extremely high functioning addict she's an alcoholic, she's addicted to sex for sure. She is partying her face off as often as she physically can. There's actually a really interesting story that I've um I've known about for years and years and years and it always it wasn't really something that a like that stuck out to me until I was much older, like old enough to understand that it was like really bad because I'm older now. Um But when Britney was 17, she was having sex with this guy who worked at her label. And I don't remember what the guy did. I don't remember. I don't think he was an executive, but he was like somebody who worked at Jive. He was this older guy, married, had children. And they weren't really hiding it. Like they were pretty open about the fact that she was hooking up with him. And pretty much everybody knew that she was hooking up with him. The record executives knew Her parents knew Felicia knew like she was basically openly dating this guy and she had just turned 17. And when it was decided that the relationship had gotten too out of control or that she was becoming too attached to this person, he didn't get fired. She got reprimanded and got in trouble. So that just kind of gives you an idea of like the kind of people that she was surrounded by. You know what I mean? That like she is, Basically being molested by this like older man that is married and he keeps his job, goes on about his day and she gets in trouble for, I don't know, not being a good girl. I don't even know. I don't know. So it just gives you an idea of the fact that her partying was out of control for years before any of us caught on. And You look at old photos of Britney during nights out to like clubs and shit. Mama was a drunk like a full on drunk in like two, the year 2000. Like this wasn't something that progressively, I mean, of course it got worse and worse throughout the years, but like she had a full fledged drinking problem during the time that you thought she was a good Christian girl. Like she really, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. And they were really good about hiding her and sneaking her out of back doors and shit. But Britney had an extreme addiction to alcohol basically her entire life. And it's always been an issue. It's always been a problem. Even when she was a little, it was when she was a kid, it was a problem. Britney's partying has always been something that her career needed to sort of orbit around in order for her team to get her to work. But the catch 22 was that she didn't want to work after a night of partying. So, you know, a lot of the time it was like operation, we need to make sure Britney gets on stage. And, you know, when I was in the previous episode that I did about her, I I talked about how, you know, she would work these absurdly long days and they would manipulate her into, you know, working, you know, 20 hour days. And they would, you know, give gifts to people who could convince her to work an extra six hours or whatever. Um, But there was also the element of, you know, the the coaxing that it took to get her to work because. You know, she had gone on, she would go on like a, you know, a one or two day bender on her days off and, you know, hook up with a bunch of guys and do a bunch of coke and just be fucking wasted and hammered and do ecstasy and just like be a mess and then have to shoot a video for 20 hours, you know? So it was just, it was a slow burn recipe for disaster. Now, with all that being said, you also have to continue to take into account that she is extremely profitable in this PR relationship with Justin Timberlake that her brand is now dependent on. And so is his. So while she's fucking everybody in sight and drinking like a fish category is Christian virgin Bible belt realness still doesn't matter. And I also think it's worth mentioning. And this is the number one thing that I wanted to mention. The main point of me adding she and Justin to this list. I spoke a little bit about Brittany and Jason Alexander. We talked about their Vegas wedding and how fucked up they both were the night of and that they were on coke and ecstasy and pills and they had been drinking. Now, the press would lead you to believe that Jason was some dumb hillbilly who showed up out of nowhere and, you know, tricked Brittany into a marriage and took advantage of her or whatever. But the real tea is that Brittany and Jason had been hooking up and dating and talking for years before they decided to get married. Years. And they continued to speak for years after the annulment. Jason Alexander was in Brittany's life basically since she was a kid, and he was never not in her life, and she was never not fucking him. And there was never any doubt. I don't. I, in my opinion, <laughs> I don't think there was ever any doubt in her mind that she would one day probably end up with him. Honestly. So that means the entire time that Brittany and Justin are in their fairy tale romance, she's also getting her brains fucked out by her hot redneck boyfriend from home. And it also makes sense when you know all of this information you know, about her partying and the fact that she and Jason were like high as shit and just like fucked up out of their minds when they got married. When it's all said and done, and this is like true tea, I think marrying Jason Alexander is probably the most true to herself and rebellious act that Britney ever committed, especially during this time. She actually married a man she was really in love with against the will of her family and against Larry. And it wasn't, you know, young people being silly or whatever they called it. She was in love with Jason Alexander. And he's also probably the only person she's ever been in a relationship with who genuinely loved her back. And that's really sad. You know, like that's like really, really dark. Like he is, he's the one I think that got away. You know, he didn't have any ulterior motives and he wasn't contractually obligated to be there with her. Jason has had several opportunities to sell her out. He was offered a million dollars to sell their wedding video, which he he turned down a million dollars. There's no man in Britney's life, past, present or future father included, who wouldn't turn down or who would turn down a million dollars for that video. Every single, think about it. Think about every man that's ever been in her life. They would have given that video up in a heartbeat. And this poor hillbilly from bumfuck nowhere who has no money turned it down. He turned down a million dollars. That should tell you everything you need to know. He was also offered a bunch of money, you know, by tabloids and Access Hollywood and Entertainment Tonight, and he turned all of it down. I think he did like, maybe two or three interviews in total. He did, however, though, release her text messages that she was sending him while she was trapped in her house by Sam Lufty. He did release those to the public where she was basically saying, I'm afraid I'm going to die. I'm afraid he's going to kill me. I don't know what's happening, blah, blah, blah. Um, those he released. And he also was the person that she was texting while she was being beaten up by Jason Trawick. He released those text messages, too, to the press. So I don't know, it's just crazy looking back. It's like, obviously, I think that this guy is who she always could have been, who, all, who she always wanted to be with. And he's probably the only person that like when you really think about it, that she would have had like a normal relationship with. You know, and it's almost I said this in the previous episode. I think that Kevin was almost like a Kevin was like a a version of Jason, you know, like he was like the closest thing she could get to Jason, who I genuinely believe is who she really was in love with and really wanted to be with. And I think that her getting married to him was genuine. I don't think that it was a fun, drunk thing to do. I think that she would have stayed married, you know. I think she would have stayed married and probably been really happy. And that's so crazy to look back on. And for me, all of this information makes the way Justin handled the situation actually worse because he was just as in on this whole charade as she was. And, you know, he was in on the fact that they weren't really this couple infatuated with each other at the end. And he allowed her to take the fall publicly solely for publicity. And not because he was heartbroken or even bitter. Like I've always at least subscribed to the idea that like Justin was bitter and he's a petty bitch and that's why he allowed this to go on for so long. But no, he wasn't even actually bitter because he was fucking other people too. He just wanted the publicity and Justin, when you think of it, he's only ever really dated women for publicity. With Cameron Diaz and Scarlett Johansson, he's only ever dated women that, will f- that would further his career. For the love of God, this man is so calculated that he'd already written breakup songs before he had broken up with her. <laughs> I mean, if you look at the t- the when a lot of the songs were penned about Britney, they were written prior to the announcement that they had actually even broken up. I mean, come on. Like it's, it's, he's the ultimate heckle and jide as Teresa Judy would say. Um, also, by the way, now this is actually the thing. And I, I'm going to give you a moment to pull over the car. I'm not kidding. I'm going to give you a moment to stop the car, turn it off. And just, I don't, I don't think you should be driving when I say this. Honestly, I worry. This makes me revisit her relationship with, and I cannot believe I'm saying this out loud. A lot's changed since 2017 with Fred Durst. Stop. You st- no, Stop it. Calm down. Here's the deal. What I have come to realize is that Fred Durst actually kind of really liked her and felt like genuinely slighted and belittled by her when she told Carson Daly that she didn't know him. He also, by the way, given what we just spoke about, Fred Durst saw a side of her that we as the public were not ready to accept. And we fucking ripped him apart. The the idea that he would say anything about our baby girl. Like we ripped him to shreds and all he did was be honest. Really. When you think about it, he was just being honest. He told the media that he, you know, when he met her in the studio, cause they were going to be, re- be recording music together that when she saw him and like figured out that she wanted to fuck him immediately, probably saw that his dick was pierced. She left the studio and came back, you know, maybe 30 minutes later in a sheer white top that she had cut um, on like right to under her boobs. And this is like peak Britney hotness, right? Like this is like 2003 Britney, like just Google Britney Spears 2003. It's like literal her peak. Um, So she like cut her fucking shirt and her, her nips are out now and she's not wearing a bra. And he said that she was, extremely sexual to the point that it actually shocked him how sexual she was and how much more sexually advanced she was than him. And more importantly, he said that she drank to pass out. This is another thing that I don't think I mentioned. How dare I? According to Fred Durst, Brittany was somebody who drank specifically to pass out. I'll never forget reading that because I think my brain maybe fimbotted and rejected it. It was just like, blink, bloop, erase. <laughs> that memory is not needed. Um, but he said it plain as day that she has a lot of demons and that she drinks to pass out. And she drinks really fast and she drinks a lot until she is down for the count. And really interesting, actually, in Fred's MTV diary episode, which is on YouTube, by the way. Um, I actually think I may post it on, on Instagram. If I can get that and post it to like Instagram TV or whatever, maybe I'll post it. Cause it's actually really fucking important. It's like really amazing. Um, he, so this diary episode actually ended up documenting their whole relationship, which is something people don't talk about at all. Because at the time, like I said, he wasn't just fucking her. Like he genuinely was in a relationship with her and she liked him. So they were basically dating and there's a moment where like the whole time she's talking to him and she's texting him, they talk on the phone and she has no idea that she's on camera, you know what I mean So it's actually pretty crazy to hear candid Brittany talk to Fred Durst who she later says that she doesn't even know. She's talking to him like he's her boyfriend. And there's a moment in the uh, in the in the episode where she, calls him and asks him to meet her somewhere. And I think maybe she texted him and said like, please come meet me here. Basically saying like, I want to fuck you. Come, come meet me. So Fred Durst being an opportunistic uh, dickwad, he showed up with the fucking MTV Diary cameras. You guys, this is available for your viewing pleasures. He showed up with the fucking cameras. So they're at this, uh, this show. It looked like it was some sort of concert or something. And britney fans you'll know what i'm talking about when i describe this outfit she was do you remember when britney wore that black fuzzy like pam anderson hat remember those pam anderson hats those like big giant monster fuzz hats it's a picture she was wearing this black giant pam anderson hat and this crazy flouncy like slutty crop top and these low-rise like stretchy pants that had cutouts all over them she was wearing a fuck me outfit it was the equivalent of like a fuck me dress but like in pants and a fuzzy hat So he shows up and she's totally fucking bamboozled because she didn't know he was bringing cameras. So she's got her like fuck me outfit on. She's ready to probably get bent over somewhere. And she's like, oh, I have to be Britney Spears right now. Fuck. So she's pretending to like not really know him that well. And it's really awkward. And he's like talking to her like his girlfriend and she's giving him the who are you. Um Felicia's even there, and Felicia's like saying, like, oh, how's Ron? How's Billy? Like all these people in his team. Cause they like know him. It's crazy. I'll post it on Instagram. Um, and I could honestly go on with this forever. Like, as you know, of course, I'm a fucking psychopath. Like, look how I lit up just now. Isn't it crazy how much I light up? I'm like talking more clear. I'm no longer stuttering. I'm sweating. I'm high strong. My heart's racing. But I'm I'm clear minded. Um but, I mean, you know, all of Britney's, in quotes, relationships, if you really want to call them that, could honestly, we could go down the whole list. I mean, they're all a mess. And as I mentioned earlier, Jason Traywick was extremely abusive, both physically and mentally. Like, it's pretty common knowledge at this point that he basically hated her and was very unapologetic about it. Very open about the fact that he couldn't stand her and that he was only there for that conservator, conservatorship money. Britney was photographed several times with black eyes and, you know, grab marks on her arms and, you know, and she's in this contractual relationship with this guy who is in charge of her life. So this guy who is beating her up and abusing her also has legal right over how she fucking breathes and how many times a day she shits. So it's just crazy. I'm going to move on because I could do this for hours and I'm not going to do that to you, but I just wanted to get all that stuff off my chest. I'm sure I'll find other things that bo- bother me about Brittany and Justin or whatever, but for now, that's all I've got to say. Um, I'd like to move on to a relationship that shouldn't by any, any means surprise you again. I want to talk about Gwen and Blake for a second. May we? Gwen and Blake are, One of those relationships that if I had to guess, I would say it sort of toes the line between real and fake. Like they enjoy each other's company, but at the same time, they're dependent on each other now for press, right? And according to Gwen and Blake, they started connecting as friends while they were both going through their shit. And she was about to leave Gavin and he was about to announce his divorce from Miranda. And Gwen told Howard Stern and Seth Myers that she didn't even know he, who he was. And she didn't know that he existed before the voice. And what's fishy is that Blake and Miranda divorced in July of 2015. Gwen and Gavin filed in August. And then Blake and Gwen went public with their relationship in October. So we were to believe that in like a month, basically they met, formed a bond, friendship, courted each other, and then fell in love, and then wrote a bunch of songs about each other in like a few weeks, I guess. Um, Miranda and Gavin have both said very publicly that they know that they were cheated on and that it's like no secret. Gavin also stated that Gwen went on a press tour accusing him of sleeping with the nanny, which he doesn't deny, But he does say that, like, you know, she did it to try and get ahead of the story before he did. And the even more infuriating thing about them as a couple is that they talk about each other non-fucking-stop in the press. Non-fucking-stop. Pretty much every interview either of them has done since 2015 has been about each other. They make their profile pictures on social media, photos of each other. Her banner on Twitter is always his, like, album covers. She dedicated her Glamour Woman of the Year award to him and said that he kissed her to life. Like, it's exhausting. And I describe their relationship as infuriating because if you're a person of a particular age, like, when Stefani most likely meant something to you in a very, very large portion of your childhood and your teen, you know, teenage years, like Gwen Stefani made being a child in the nineties and a teenager in the early two thousands, really fun. Like she really, really contributed an un really it's like an indescribable amount to pop culture. It really is indescribable. It's hard to even put it into words. Um, to me, there was nobody cooler and more trend-setting than Gwen. And No Doubt was, like, my first or second concert ever. And to me, there was just no more powerful woman than Gwen Stefani. So to see her end up in this place where she's in a PR relationship for, like, middle American couch potatoes who call the voice for, to, to vote, it's really disappointing on a massive scale. It, like, is really, it's actually, like, gut-wrenching. And it's done absolutely nothing for either of their careers. Like when you really think about it, they were both part of these like music power couples, extremely respected in the worlds that they possessed, right? And that can't be said for either of them now. You also look at Gwen as a brand and as a fashion icon and a songwriter, and none of those things have really like flourished since meeting him like her last album that she released, which is an album, by the way, that I listened to, because I like, it's, you know, it's weird. It's like, it's hard for me not to support Gwen. Like I'm not, she's somebody that I, I have a hard time writing off just because she meant so much to me for so long. And there's always going to be, I'm always going to love Gwen. Like that's just, it's that's just tea. I'm always going to have love in my heart for Gwen Stefani. She means too much to me. Um, But at the same time, it's like, You know, I listened to that, to that album and it wasn't bad. It was a fun little like pop record, but like Gwen Stefani to me before all things is a fucking songwriter. Like this is a woman who can write the fuck out of a song. Like that's her talent. That's her gift. That's her, that's what she's good at. In my opinion, before all things is how good she is at writing lyrics. And it was just so apparent that this was like, I wouldn't say it was like a cash grab, but it was just like. Where is the Gwen that I grew up with? Like, who is this imposter? I don't know her. It's also worth mentioning that Gwen and Blake both had albums come out right after they started dating and that Gwen had all these songs written, but she scraped, scraped, scrapped them and rewrote the album basically to be about Blake. And they've performed together and released a bunch of grocery store music together that nobody cares about. Again, unless you are, like, a middle American couch potato who who calls into the voice to vote. Like, you're the person that they're, like, catering to. And, you know, they've made jokes and shit on, like, Ryan Seacrest's radio show and on, on like, Chelsea Handler's show when it was on Netflix that, like, you know, if everybody else is going to cash in on their relationship, then they may as well do it too. Like, Blake makes that joke all the time. And it's like, that'd be funny if... The whole world truly didn't believe that this was a cash. Like, this is like nobody. Be- well, I'm not going to say nobody, but a lot of people don't believe this is real. Anyway, I don't know. I'm rooting. I'm praying. Uh, you know, I-, I hope that Gwen sees the light and. And gets out before it's too late, but I don't see that happening, which sucks. Meh, nah, sucks. Um, Let's talk about Selena Gomez in the weekend real quick. Selena Gomez is no stranger to a PR relationship, obviously, right? And the same thing goes for The Weeknd, to be honest. Um, During the time that they were public with each other, (laughs) Selena was fresh out of rehab and looking to, like, reintroduce herself to the public. And The Weeknd was promoting Starboy, and uh yeah i mean like for fuck's sake they were photographed standing outside restaurants like kissing for you know a week straight and looking directly into the photographer's cameras each time one of the times that they were outside kissing um she was playing his new single on her phone and like pretending that she was like listening to it for the first time like cringe cringe the worst oh my god so fucking embarrassing and Justin Bieber was also very open to the press, uh, that he thought their relationship was fake. In 2017, he said that he, he knows that, you know, for a fact that when Selena is about to release new music, that she, um, pretends to date people and that she's done it with him for years and she did it with Nick Jonas. And that's true. If you go back and look at You know, Selena Gomez's dating history, it's always right around the time that she's trying to promote something or, like, reinvent herself. Um, you know, especially in this case, like, she's out of rehab and she's trying to reintroduce herself as, like, you know, an artist and not, like, a tabloid fixture and, like, what better way to do that than to date, like, the hottest artist of the time, The weekend. And I want to talk more about Justin and Selena, but I also want to save it for the actual Justin and Selena episode, which is going to be happening by the way. So I'm not going to get too deep into that, but like, I just thought that was interesting. Like Selena Gomez is just so interesting to me endlessly. And I'm going to save all the, uh, all the things. Um, I was going to talk about Emma Stone and Andrew Garfield, but it's like, after what we just went through together, it's like, I don't even, it's like so boring and stupid that it's like no point. Like, They dated when The Amazing Spider-Man came out and then they broke up and then they dated again when they both had movies that were nominated for Oscars. Like, that's pretty much it. I'm bored. One that is actually really fun, though, and this is very, like, on brand for this podcast and this is the one that I'm going to leave you with. Do you guys remember in 2006 when Nicole Richie dated Steve-O? And by dated, I mean, like, they were photographed with each other several times, pretty much. This is one that, I mean, it's just like more silly than anything, but I don't know, it's like a really fun story and it did make a lot of headlines back in the day. It's interesting, but it's something that a lot of people have forgotten was like a thing. So back in 2006, Steve-O was, as you may or may not know, a drug dealer to the stars. And this is like one of my favorite subgenres of celebrity, celebrity drug dealers, People like Steve-O and Scott Storch, like, people who sort of end up in circles specifically because they sell drugs, so they, they become friends with people that they are just being used by, pretty much. Like, Scott Storch, for example, used to sell drugs to Paris and Lindsay and Britney and, like, all the girls, and he, Scott Storch was known as the guy who would make you fuck him for anything, so... If you wanted him to do music, like he produced Paris's entire album. If you wanted him to do music with you or with him, like you had to have sex with him. If you wanted him to give you drugs, you had to have sex with him. So he would have these girls in rotation throwing themselves at him because they were drug addicts. And uh, yeah, he was like a really, really fucking well-known drug dealer. And then he lost all of his money. And as soon as he became broke, nobody spoke to him ever again. He also dated Lil' Kim. Anyway, so back in 2006, Steve-O is one of these like celebrity drug dealers. And um, again, many of the same people, people like Lindsay and Britney, or maybe not Britney, but probably Misha. um, Yeah, 2006, probably Britney. Misha, Lindsay, like the girls, you know, they're all buying their drugs from Steve-O. And he's admitted to this on Howard Stern that like he was you know known as like the drug dealer of the early 2000s and he actually admitted on Jimmy Kimmel that he sold drugs to Paris and Stavros right before her infamous car crash he said he said about a half hour before Paris Hilton had that car crash i had given her some mind altering substances i walked into this nightclub to go meet her and her billionaire boyfriend and I was just clinking and clanking away with my little nitrous oxide cartridges, cartridges and filling up balloons. I probably shouldn't say this. Oops. And that was like a huge deal that it was confirmed that Paris was most likely not sober during her car crash and that she had just bought a bunch of balloons of nitrous oxide from Stevo, who was clanking through a nightclub with nitrous oxide tanks to fill up for Paris and Stavro so that they could walk on sunshine and drive around like how fucking weird I I did not know that that was a thing I'm not gonna lie to you I didn't know that drug dealers just showed up places with not nitrous oxide and like twisted you a like a drug balloon I had no idea um but he was also as you would expect selling drugs to Nicole Richie and Nicole had apparently contacted him and was like, look, I'm getting a an absurd amount of press right now for my weight, and I want to try and do stuff to get the press to not talk about my weight. So I'm doing all of these like fake things, these like planned things to try and like twist the narrative or whatever. So will you come out with me and uh, we'll be photographed together and people will speculate if we're dating Cause I just want people to talk, stop talking about how fucking skinny I am. So they met up and drove around and she walked around to little shops with him and she carried her dog and they pretended to be on a date, (laughs) which I mean, nobody believed for more than a day. Everybody was like, okay, so that looked very planned. Um, but yeah, and they, I mean, he admitted it and he later said like, yeah, like we, you know, she just wanted people to stop talking about how skinny she was. So we went out together and, uh, I pretended to be dating her. Now, in my opinion, that's how you do a celebrity, a fake PR relationship. Just, you just have fun with it. Hey, steve you want to go, uh, window shop with me and my dog? Sure. Let's have some fun. Anyway, um, I think I'm going to end here. I think that that should do it. This is fun. And I think I'm going to incorporate these, uh these little, I don't think that they're mini episodes. They're still an hour long, but these little weird episodes, like in between every other week, I've got something really fun planned for next week. It's going to be, I'm basically, I outed I it already. I think I'm going to do J- Justin Bieber and Selena Gomez. I think, I'm not sure yet. So don't quote me, but I think that that's, what's going to happen. And it's obviously going to be several parts. So I think that'll be really fun. And uh yeah, if I'm going to do that, I better get to it literally right now cuz holy shit. That 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 again, that feels very overwhelming to even ugh, that feels overwhelming to even think about right now. But anyway, I love you. This was really fun. I hope that you enjoyed it. I will 1000% be posting that uh Br- that uh, what is it? Fred Durst diary episode because my god, like you have to see it. And um, yeah, that's really all I have to say. I'll see you next week. I love you very much. And um, yeah, bye. Thank you for listening to The mushroom, an Emotionally Broken Psycho's Patreon exclusive. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. Also be sure to head over to patreon.com slash ebpsychos for more information on this show and other Patreon exclusive content. You can follow me on Twitter at Troy McEady. That's T-R-O-Y-M-C-E-A-D-Y. Thank you to executive producer Molly McAleer and coordinating producer Nicole Matthew. Seeking the truth never gets old.